Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Endorphins, a mental health podcast focused on the importance of finding joy and happiness in daily living. I'm your host, Stella Stephanopoulos, and if you can't tell by my last name, which is likely a dead giveaway, I'm Greek, the secret's out, (laughs) and for those who know me pretty well, you will most definitely know that I'm Greek um, and have actually had the really beautiful opportunity in the past year to become super connected to the Greek community here in New York City. And I'm, I'm so fortunate for that. Developing a lot of new relationships and friendships in the Greek community has been honestly such a big moment for me in the past year. And just getting to reconnect with a part of my identity that I never really had a strong connection to, despite growing up, going to church, having family living in Greece, vacationing there over the summer to visit family, and having both parents who are Greek, I never really was that connected to a Greek community, and I never really did have close friends uh, that were Greek growing up, which I get into in this episode, but all this goes to say that in the past year, it's been so incredible to get to be welcomed into this new community and to uh, develop my own interest in, and desire to want to be involved. And the the reason this week I wanted to release uh, this episode with my friend Christina Hedrick is because it's kind of full circle. So Christina is a multi-hyphenate. She is a yoga instructor, a wellness enthusiast. She's an entrepreneur, but she also... <laughs> is the teacher for my Greek dance class that I started a few months ago in September. And it's very full circle because when we recorded this interview, we were just about to start the dance lessons. And now it is the end of January and the dance classes are wrapping up. So it's personally very entertaining for me to go back and listen and see how much has changed in the past few months and how much my perspective has also deepened too around building a Greek identity and being really involved with the community. So that's a tangent, but Christina is truly incredible. And she is the founder of Yamas, which is a lifestyle brand and workshop series that's inspired by the traditions of wellness and self-inquiry embedded in Hellenic culture. Yamas creates herbal teas, wellness events, yoga retreats, and conscious objects that are inspired by Greece's land and ancient wisdom. So I was super excited to have her on the podcast to tap into her knowledge and have her share where she sees the intersection between wellness and health and the Greek culture and tradition and even dating back to the Greek philosophers like Socrates and Aristotle and how their teachings really lay the foundation for the teachings of positive psychology and the science of well-being, the pursuit of living a fulfilling and flourishing life. There's so many parallels between what these philosophers were preaching way back in the day and what modern researchers are sharing now around how we can cultivate joy in our lives. And that's exactly what we talk about today, as well as get into Christina's takes on mental health and wellness. So I'm really excited to dive into this interview. I hope that you all enjoy. And I really believe that anyone who's listening can take something away, whether or not you happen to be Greek. Before we dive into the episode, a reminder to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer, and follow along Everyday Endorphins on Instagram, TikTok, all social media to stay up to date with 
episodes that are being dropped, partnerships, collabs, and events happening in New York City. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for coming on to Everyday Endorphins. I'm so happy to have you here. Hi, Stella. Thank you. Stoked to be here. I feel like as I've gotten to know you over the past, I don't know, year and a half, I guess at this point, or about a year and a half, we have so many similarities. Like There's so many parallels between our interests and our passions and the ways in which that manifests professionally and personally. So I feel like it's such a privilege to get to sit with you. And for those of you who are listening out there and who don't know how Christina and I got introduced, we actually sat on a panel together at a Greek conference talking about the intersection between the Greek culture and holistic health and wellness. And that's exactly what I want to dive in deeper here today with you. So Christina, you have an incredible community and company called Yamas. Can you talk a little bit more about the inspiration for starting Yamas and really what the vision is with everything that you do, building community and and bringing people together to celebrate Greek culture? Thank you, Stella, for that intro. And I'm also so glad we ended up on that panel at a church conference together talking about yoga. I know. It feels kind of like counterintuitive talking about yoga and spirituality at a Greek Orthodox church conference. I know. That's a conversation. That's like a whole side conversation. But to stay on point, so Yamas is, Yamas, just for anyone who's listening, it's how we say cheers in Greek. It's a shortened version of Stini Yamas, which means to our health. So like most ways of saying cheers, you're cheersing to health. It started for me back in 2018 in my head years prior, but the first official Yamas Yamas event was in 2018 in Manhattan in Soho. And I called it like discover Yamas, discover Greece's holistic side. And I felt like I had been working in wellness since 20 in wellness in some capacity since 2015. And I kept finding as I studied Eastern philosophies and meditated or went to the alchemist kitchen and people are selling me like ashwagandha. And I'm over here like, well, wait, we have all this stuff in our culture too. Okay. Not the same, not to say it's the same, but like we have a lot there. And I kept finding all these parallels between East and West and feeling like, okay, how come so many people know what ashwagandha is, but they've never heard of mountain tea. So that was sort of the aha moment to say, well, why don't we look at this overarching view of not just Greek culture, but the Greek land, the gifts of the land, what it has to offer. And so it was born in this beautiful event. And then that was really well received. And I kept doing them because I kept having different ideas for different ones, right? So then there was one more focused on like goddess archetypes and self-love and journaling. And then I started doing the Greek dance because I was like, well, why is Greek dance also not looked at as this form of healing movement, which some people and scholars do look at it that way. But, you know, in the general diaspora community, it's not perceived that way. And I was like, I get 
I feel, and we can talk about this later, but I feel just as good after Greek dancing as I do after taking like a really good yoga class, for example. So, and then just to like summarize it, our offerings are essentially workshops, retreats in Greece. We have a line of products, we have merch, and I hope to just really keep expanding all of that. I am not 100% sure how it's all going to look in say two to 10 years, you know, but have some ideas. I love everything that you just shared. And I feel very inspired by what you're doing because I think there's so much to be said about how our identity shapes our sense of well-being. And it's interesting because for me personally, both of my parents are Greek. I grew up going to church. My dad's father was a priest. My mom was born in Greece. Like We are a very Greek family, but I never really felt super connected to my culture, ironically enough, growing up. I mean, maybe that has to do with growing up in New York City. Granted, there is a pretty strong Greek community here, but like most of my friends growing up were Jewish and I went to 40 bat mitzvahs in seventh grade. Like that was just what my like reality looked like. And I didn't really have a group of Greek friends growing up or participate in any quote unquote, Greek activities besides really going to church or celebrating those, you know, Easter and the other holidays. And I'm just curious to hear from you, do you feel like your childhood and the way in which you were raised really instilled this strong Greek identity that's been consistent throughout the course of your life? And has that been something that's played a role in the inspiration for starting Yamas in 2018 and years prior? Like what was that connection? I love this question. I also just love hearing everyone's background. So fascinating to me. So I am half Greek. My father's not Greek. I grew up in Virginia. And one thing I'll say, I think about the Greek communities outside of bigger cities and metropolitan areas is I do think there's a little more strength and identity because like in New York City, it's just you can go to a Greek restaurant and there's all the silogi, which are like the clubs for people from different regions and areas. And it's kind of really in your face. So I grew up in a church, Newport News, Virginia, that is very into Greek dance, like deep, deep, deep Greek dance. So Greek dance was always a big part of it for me that was really woven into my life. I also grew up dancing, ballet, show choir, these things. So I just, I loved dance. I loved Greek dance. I was obsessed with the costumes. I was obsessed with the history. I actually majored in history at UVA. Like I just always had this sort of nerdy inclination towards it. Now, speaking of UVA, when I went to college, it was suddenly not very cool to be ethnic in a very waspy environment. So I feel like when I was at UVA, I kind of lost touch with my Greek identity a little bit, right? So fast forward post-college, I go back to Greece for the first time in four or five years. And I have this moment where I'm like, what the heck? This is the best place on earth. I've been missing out on this. Like, And also just coming out of the pressures of like college conformity, I was feeling ready more to just be myself. And so I started reconnecting with it again, not that I lost it. But in college, I was not going to church, really, I was not Greek dancing, because I couldn't, I was trying to conform in like a slightly toxic environment. So I lost a lot of it. And then I think there was like a big force behind that desire to reconnect. And so this coincided with me starting a blog called Delphi Reclaimed, like ancient Delphi, which was considered the center of the ancient world, Temple of Apollo, Oracle, blah, blah, blah. And I felt like after the crisis in Greece, there's this huge resurgence of creativity. So I started this blog. And funny enough, the blog is how Yamas got out in the first place. Also, my career was much more like editorial marketing media at the time, pre getting really into wellness. So 
there was definitely like a desire to like show people the culture and show people that there was more to Greece. I always joke like now Instagram's huge, right? There's a bajillion Greek bloggers, this, that, archive accounts, Greek dance accounts. I was sharing a lot of that type of content in like 2016. And I joked that like the internet wasn't ready. Like people just wanted like pictures of Santorini, the evil eye and like Musaka and stuff. So, you know, but I, I wanted to show this like alternative side that now you see kind of everywhere. And now like for non-Greek listeners who are like, why should I care? I mean, so many non-Greeks go to Greece has been one of the top touristic destinations in Europe the last few years. So there's just definitely been this like resurgence of buzz around Greece. And I wanted to share sort of my perspective on it, which was like, let's dive deeper than these sort of tropes of like smashing. I've never smashed a plate in my life, by the way. (laughs) Tropes of like smashing plates and waving a flag and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I also noticed that, I think you mentioned this on your website or maybe on your Instagram somewhere. Like I love the colors of Yamas and there are these like earthy tones. And I know that that was really intentional, again, to not paint this picture around Greece that's just Santorini and Mykonos and it's the blues and the whites, which of course are like very integral to the Greek culture and land. But there's these beautiful earthy undertones, the greens and the olives and browns, you know, that really symbolize the land that is most of Greece. And I always joke with my non-Greek friends that when I go to Greece, it's not always the glamorous island vacation that people think of because a lot of Greeks that are from Greece or family there like are on the mainland or like in the villages. <laughs> like it's not like I'm jetting off to Santorini every summer. Totally. No, I agree. <laughs> and even with the islands, I'm like, and trust me, I love the Kiklades, the Cyclades. I'm a Cyclades girl, but also I'm like, those are the islands with the blue and white. Even other islands don't have everything blue and white. And then I could go on a tangent of how like the blue and white was adopted from the Bavarian flag. And there's a whole like history around that, you know, that's nationalistic, but that's like a history lesson. So there's more to it. I love the blue and white, but I was like, guys, there's so much more. And to your point, like when you go to Greece, like my region of Greece, I see like olive trees as I'm driving through and terracotta roofs. And yeah, it's very earthy. It's really, really earthy actually. There's so many ways I can take this next question. So I'm trying to think about how exactly I want to phrase it. But for listeners out there who have gone to Greece, maybe they they might have a better understanding of what I'm trying to get across. But I think that the Greek culture and identity and really just the Greek people, like it's so infused in our history as well. There's so many ties to health and wellness that extend far beyond maybe like physical practices, all stemming back from the philosophy, the land, even this phrase yamas, like community in good health, like cheers, family. So that being said, where do you see the Greek culture really intersect with health and wellness more broadly speaking? Because something that comes right off the top of my mind is even thinking about the Greek philosophers and their perspective on health and leading a purposeful life and happiness. Absolutely. So, so much I could say, because it's funny, the first thing that kind of comes to my mind is like food. Let's start there. Let's start with food. And the Mediterranean diet is cataloged as like, you know, one of the healthiest diets in the world. Greece has a very, its own blue zone on the island of Ikaria, known for having a very healthy, heavily plant-based diet. I also love to, and by the way, not vegan, not vegetarian. I pretty much eat everything other than I try not to eat processed foods. And for most of history, Greeks didn't eat a lot of meat. Most people couldn't afford meat. You know, it was pretty plant-based. It's not because they were trying to be vegetarian. It was just like, if you're 
a village family, you probably wouldn't eat meat. A lot of like the Lenten fast, for example, coincides with like when people's resources from the harvest were running out, you know, and that's why at the end when you have the lamb on Easter, it's such a big deal because it's really celebratory and like it's a big deal to have the lamb. So one thing I would say is sort of the food and also connections to more like cyclical eating and living. Now, my caveat to all of this is modern Greece has definitely modernized, Europeanized. They're eating more processed foods. Things are changing over there. Greece is not a perfect picture of health. It has a lot of problems. I just, I have to say that because I'm sure if a Greek from Greece was listening, they might take issue with some of my points. But there really is that like, and then speaking of eating, there's also dining as a family. When I was there on my last trip, I wanted to meet up with some family and it wasn't like, let's go out to eat. They're like, no, come, like Sunday, every Sunday we have a family meal, we eat together, we gather. And that's another thing from like the blue zone statistics that are offsided is this like emphasis on connection with family. So that's sort of that. But I'd say the other thing to bring it back to your point of the ancient philosophy, I love that you brought this up. I literally just did a workshop on this on Sunday called Ancient Philosophy, Modern Wellness, which is like an older workshop I'd done during COVID and now finally was able to do in person. And I also have to say caveat, I don't know how much modern Greeks are connecting with ancient philosophies. I think sometimes those of us who are either diaspora or just people who aren't from Greece were more excited about them, but I find so much in them, so much richness. And to hearken to two points, one, as I mentioned earlier, when I did yoga teacher training, and then when I read the Tao and I was really entrenched in sort of these Eastern philosophies, then I read the fragments of Heraclitus and I was like, wait, this and the Tao are saying the same thing. They were written on different parts of the planet, these people, as far as we know, had zero connection with each other. And they were making the same arguments about impermanence, the same arguments about like, you know, there being some sort of life force energy, the same arguments about things being cyclical. And so I find there to be a lot of wisdom there. Of course, Greek philosophy also has so, so much. And like, I not to turn this into a workshop, but I talked about this on Sunday where like, we think of, you know, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, which they were a lineage truly of philosophers, one taught the other. But then we have all these pre-Socratic philosophers like Heraclitus, for example. His work is so ancient. We only have these fragments of what he wrote. Thales. And then we have the Stoic philosophers who did not identify as a crew, by the way. That's like a modern identity we've bestowed upon them to call them. They weren't like, I'm a Stoic. Marcus Aurelius didn't like call himself a stoic but like epictetus he speaks so much about things that i find i'm like this is just mindfulness he's like oh it's not what happens to you that matters it's how you react to it okay like mindfulness 101 you know so i really love to just bridge those connections and also i think it's important too because it shows that in this age of instagram where i think we have a problem where everyone acts like they've like discovered everything i'm like y'all We're all like, it's not about me discovering it. It's not about anyone's like quote template. It's like this stuff is ancient and it's been around and humans have been discovering it and rediscovering it and just finding different ways of expressing, I think, what are like very universal truths. Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned that in comparison to how these ideas are portrayed on social media now, because I swear my TikTok for you page Every single video is like something about a manifestation practice or how to get the success that you want in life. Like, okay, guilty is charged. Like I'm being very honest here. Yes, that is what my for you page is sending me. And I'm sure my phone listens to me. So that's probably like what I'm talking about most of the time. And it's 
funny because a lot of these manifestation practices really about how to get the things that you want in life, how to let things come to you instead of working so hard for them, boil down to this concept of embodying that of which you desire. And it's really funny because my mom sent me this reel on Instagram of this priest talking, like he was sharing a story. And I was like, I'm not like, I don't know what she's sending me. So I click on the video and it's of this priest talking about how he told his father how he like wanted his dream partner and what should I do? What should I do? And the father basically said, write a list of all the qualities that you're looking for in this dream partner. And so the priest goes on to write the list and explains, you know, what he wrote down. And then the father says, now live that, like now embody it. And that's exactly the same manifestation practice that I've seen come across my TikTok for you page. You want your dream partner, like write down the list and the qualities and then act as if you already have it. And it's the same idea. And if you like abstract away from romance, I mean, it's anything in life. And to go back to your point on like stoicism as well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the stoic philosophers and those who really embody that practice are really seeking more so tranquility than the pursuit of happiness, like being content, being unbothered by things and being very calm. And it really ties into, again, mindfulness. And then these practices that were developed more in Eastern philosophy. So I personally feel like I've now been seeing how these two different philosophies also intersect and it's, I think, a really beautiful thing to see and also to know that a lot of this wisdom comes from like our ancient culture. Well, there's so much there. And it's like, one note too on Stoicism is like Marcus Aurelius is probably the most famous, right? And has the biggest catalog of writing. Of course, he was nobility. So his things were really well <laughs> cataloged and, and his work was really saved. But he was really influenced by Epictetus. So Marcus Aurelius like owes so much to Epictetus. Epictetus was a slave who was freed and as far as I know, is illiterate. So he actually had someone write down his words, but those really influenced Marcus Aurelius. So yeah, I don't think they had any sort of, I don't think it was any sort of pursuit of happiness, but it was more of just living to borrow from the Socratic quote that actually is taken out of context and used pretty poorly, like to live an examined life, to be aware of how you're living, which of course is also a luxury when you're in the throes of survival or when you're just having a really bad day, it's easier said than done to embody some philosophies. You know, if you're a single mom, you have a lot going on. How You don't have time to sit around and contemplate reality, most likely. So I always have to say that like, there's an air of like privilege to all of this, right, of being able to even have the time to think about it and talk about it. And that's not lost on me. But it's funny what you said about manifestation, because there's this thing attributed to Epictetus that says, don't explain your philosophy, embody it. It kind of goes like you're saying with the very popular, what's now very popular manifestation lingo, which is like, feel the way you want to be and then you'll get there. I have so many thoughts on manifestation stuff, though. It's a lot. Well, I want to hear more of that. What are your thoughts, number one, on manifestation? And secondly, I can imagine that since you're so educated in the Greek philosophy, Greek culture, you're also yoga certified, you know, we share very similar backgrounds. How has that 
impacted or influenced rather your own philosophy on leading a healthy and happy and purposeful life? Do you draw from the knowledge that you've gained over the course of your life through Yamas to create how you want to lead a meaningful life? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I'm a big believer in personal integrity, which essentially means is this BS coming out of my mouth and my actual actions, are they aligning? Because it is really easy to post all sorts of things on Instagram and also like guilty as charged. But I remember having this realization a few years ago where I'd be like, wow, that person has a really... What I'm saying is going to sound really judgmental. I apologize. But like this person has an amazing Instagram. And if I just saw their Instagram, I'd think, whoa, they're this way. And then you see them in person. And there's like such an energetic disparity between the two. And in my personal experience, some of the teachers, mentors I've had that have been the most effective aren't even that big on social media. Or they were and they stopped. Or they just, it's not their whole thing. So we can get lost in, I call it like, I made up this word, the contentization of it all versus the reality. Sorry to the English language. But I find that so for me to actually answer your question, yeah, I try to check myself and be like, okay, if I posted something on Instagram, am I actually living that? So for example, I recently took a break from Instagram. I think I was a full eight days off, which for someone who both has a business and does So I still do copywriting for people in wellness is like part of my vocation. It was a lot and it made me not want to be on it, to be completely honest with you, which then puts me at odds with how to market and get myself out there and the fact that so much of my community exists on and because of Instagram. But what is life if you're also not willing to like embrace change and pivot? Like, why do I have to always have like the way I was so on Instagram during COVID? Okay, I was sitting at home. I had a lot of energy to like research and write and create this content. And now I'm like, I kind of want to be out in the world. I don't want to be looking at my phone. I feel a lot better when I'm not on it as much. I can feel that in my nervous system. I'm just calmer. I'm way less judgmental. I'm not thinking about other people so much. I'm more focused on just what I need to be doing. I have more questions than answers. It's a long-winded way of saying I don't know the answer. I don't know how you create a healthy relationship with something designed to be addictive, literally, but it's definitely influenced my life. And I'd say both my meditation and yoga teacher trainings, because my meditation teacher training specifically was very steeped in Buddhism and psychology. That affected me so much and to this day continues to really affect me in a very positive way for sure. I completely resonate with what you were talking about, just how getting off social media makes you happier. I mean, I think most people can resonate that, but I haven't personally like taken an Instagram hiatus. And I think this is a sign that I should, but I also share in that feeling of stress where it's like this dilemma because for the podcast, for example, I have to promote it on social media. I have to use Instagram to spread the message. (laughs) And the irony here is that it's not very enjoyable to me, honestly. I mean, there's parts of it that are enjoyable. And I think I also used to enjoy consuming content a lot more, for lack of a better way of putting that. And now it's like, this is maybe just me. And it's also, it's been years. Now we've been on Instagram for 10 years. Like the novelty of that is even worn off. And I feel almost guilty because I'm like, I don't enjoy reading anyone's stuff. So then why do I want to post if I'm not really, you know, it's straight. And that's just where I am. Maybe personally, it could also just be 
getting older or truly like in trying to embody some of these philosophies, it's like they start to really land and you're like, okay, I don't need to like consume so much information every day. It's just making things really noisy for me. Right. Exactly. And going back to this concept about embodying the principles that we speak about, that we advocate for, that are really the value pillars to, I think, both of our brands. I think it's really important to take a step back so that you can reflect on the knowledge that you've accumulated and figure out how do I actually integrate this into my life. And that was something that was so important to me through taking a break with my podcast and then getting back into it. I was so stuck in the execution phase that I wasn't thinking about what I was learning consciously and subconsciously and how I could actually embody that. And it took time away to figure out how to live those principles and find more joy and contentment within myself. And I think that's a really difficult thing to do when you're in the more entrepreneurial space, especially when what you're building is so tied to your identity. And I think that's where we have a lot of similarities because we we have, first of all, kind of similar backgrounds, studying more of the like humanities, liberal arts, you with history, me with this integrative philosophy, neuroscience, and psychology major, also being Greek, and then having an interest in wellness, doing our yoga teacher training, and then building these two separate brands that have their own unique identity, but also without our own interests and our own makeup and personality, like these brands wouldn't exist and vice versa. But they're really extensions of the part, the human. They're deeply extensions of the human. It's not like you're like, oh, I heard that, I don't know, writing ebooks about how to care for your dog on Amazon is really like a thing that you can make a lot of money off of. True story from my digital nomad days, hearing someone do this. And so, you know, people who are just like, I'm a serial entrepreneur, I'm going to launch this. And there's no like personal attachment to it. They're just like, I heard I can make money off this. I'm going to do it. These brands that we have or projects, whatever you want to call them, they are deeply personal. And I find that like when I really resonate with the thing I write, nine out of 10 times, unless I'm in one of those like algorithm punishing stages, which I'm in, by the way, if you take time off Instagram, which I just did, now all my stuff is tanking, which is hilarious. They literally punish you when you take time off. And when I was posting more frequently, it was like, oh, wow, my real is like going semi-viral and now I'm like oh crickets because time off I guess but if I really resonate with whatever it is like I could plan content all day but I'll have like an intuitive hit to write something and maybe it's like a snippet video I took earlier that day wasn't planned isn't part of a content pillar per se it wasn't strategy and that'll be the thing that goes semi-viral so again it really is sometimes I wish it was less personal to be honest with you (laughs) it's yeah that's a good perspective because it can also be kind of draining as well. Yeah. I'm feeling drained, which happens. Or if I'm going through a week where because like hormonally I'm lower energy, like big believer in our cycles over here, especially as women. I don't really feel like I want to write anything this week. It's like, okay, well, it's a business. You have to. But yeah, it's hard when it's so personal. And I've thought about like, oh, I could get some help from someone. But the voice on Instagram is so much and I'm sure you resonate with this, it's like so much my voice that there are a lot of things that I could get help with and have gotten help with in the past with the business, like hired people for, but the writing is just like, mm -mm. (laughs) it has to be mine. No, I totally get that. And I personally, I feel like I can hear your voice shine 
very clearly through what you write. And it's really the ethos and messaging. So some of those things that we think we can maybe outsource, take a load off of our plate actually (laughs) might cause more to be put on our plate because it's not really in alignment with maybe the message that we're trying to share. So it's difficult. I resonate with that. I want to get back to talking a little bit more about the offerings that you provide with Yamas. I know we touched on this earlier in the interview, but you just hosted what looked to be like a fabulous yoga retreat in Greece. And not only did it look to be that way, but I know that for a fact because a close friend of, of both of ours went on the retreat and she only had incredible things to say. So can you talk a little bit about how you bring yoga into Yamas and how movement plays a big role in what you're providing? Sure. So about our retreats, I'd say a thing that makes a Yamas retreat different from just going and doing yoga in Greece is that we do infuse our retreats with an element of like sort of cultural immersion, which is cool. And it's like, now I'm seeing a lot more people do that. And I'm like, great, you know, whether it's doing a workshop on herbs or going to like traditional tavernas and having live music or some other, you know, tricks we have up our sleeves. So I think because also when you go somewhere and there's an actual connection to the people in the culture, it's very different than just showing up with sort of this like colonialist, like I'm going to get what I want from this pretty place and kind of being more like extractive versus being a little more like woven into the community, if that makes sense. Not that it has to be, by the way, that's just like If I'm going to Greece, that's going to be my style. The yoga, and so also for anyone listening, not everything I do is Greek. Sometimes I'm like, oh no, I've made my whole life so Greek because of yoga. When I teach yoga, it often it's just a yoga class that could have absolutely nothing to do with being Greek. Same with meditation, breath work, et cetera, et cetera. But I find that because I teach yoga and also Greek dance, there's this fun sort of synthesis of the two, you know, the yoga can kind of ground you and is a physical practice and has, of course, so much. And then I also teach Greek dancing, which is more of an ecstatic experience and communal experience. So I like to marry those two, not like at the same time, but in the programming of a retreat. And The Greek dancing was introduced as like part of Yamas fairly early on in like 2019 because I just felt like every Greek dance class I'd taken was so serious or felt a little clicky. And I wanted to create, I can't believe I'm about to use these words, but I want to create like a safe space truly where, you know, and (laughs) the first Yamas dance class like had a lot of non-Greek people. Big part of of this that I probably should have said from the beginning. Like I really, my goal is to share this. This is not just a community for diaspora Greeks and Greek Americans. Half the people on our retreat, at least half were not Greek, including my co-leader. That was intentional. I really want to share it with a broader audience. This is not like another Greek American brand click club, if that makes sense. It often feels like one, I think, just by virtue of like Greek people are going to be much more interested in what I'm doing. Yeah, no, it can feel that way. And going back to Greek dance. So for those who are listening, by the time this will be released, I will have completed the Greek dance classes that you are hosting with the church. I've never done Greek dance lessons before, so I'm excited, but it's funny because as I've gotten to be more connected with our culture, really being immersed in the Greek community and having really close Greek friends, 
it just so happens that when we're out, let's say at a Greek bar or at some Greek event, we all get in our little circle and Greek dancing just happens. And I've learned to honestly embrace it because I do think that there has been that safe space for lack of a better word. And, you know, I bring this up because something I've noticed is that it feels so communal and tribal in a way, but also there's a sense of rhythm to Greek dancing. And it's the same sense of rhythm that you feel in yoga, honestly, when you're in that flow. And I used to row crew in high school, which is an incredibly rhythmic sport. So what do all these things have in common? It's synchronicity. It's being, you know, it's connecting with your breath and your movement and your body and your mind. And I think with Greek dancing in particular, I'm very much a novice. So please add on to my thoughts, but you're with other people. And so you're doing it like in a collective experience. And I think that's what's really special about it. And I think that's like one of the biggest things. The first time I did the workshop, I spent the first 20 at least minutes just talking kind of about very much this because Greek dance, but let's just say any dance, right? If you grew up dancing, there can be dance culture has changed a lot, but it can be kind of tough. I wanted to emphasize the communal aspect. I wanted to, I will cue sometimes in a class, I'll remind people, I'll notice when people get nervous because it's a harder dance. I'll say, hey guys, don't forget to breathe. Don't look down at your feet, you know, drop your awareness down into your body. So infusing it with this sort of yogic mindfulness lens is I think what makes my class different. There are a lot of very like esteemed Greek dance teachers who are so much more knowledgeable than I will ever be. They've done field, not ever, but field research, you know, people with 40 years of research and seminars behind them. And sometimes I take their classes and I'm like, they're not like offering any, you know, they're showing, I know they're a wealth of knowledge. I have a lot of respect, but there's no talking about like our body or the physicality or the breathing or like even context. I'm sort of obsessed with context. It's probably why I do this and why I majored in history. But I'm like, if I know, I like to also share a little more about the dance or the music. Not always, but things like this. Sorry if I'm straying from your question. I like just got on a total tangent. But I say at the beginning of every class, it's hard to be doing anything other than Greek dancing when you're Greek dancing can't really be on your phone. You're there. So talk about being mindful and present. Yeah. It's like literally a recipe for presence and community and joy. Absolutely. And even in yoga, like you can't be on your phone. I visited a friend in California recently and we would hike a lot and you can't really be on your phone while you're hiking. I mean, I guess you can, but... Sprain your ankle though. (laughs) Exactly. So unless you want to do that, like don't look at your phone, but just creating space to remove distraction, I think is very important. And it's a very hard thing to do in a place like New York. And just in general, I mean, even in Greece this summer, people say like, oh, well, Greece is different. I can't tell you how many times I walked by like a little group of boys in a town square all huddled over phones. It's changed everywhere. The device thing is really a thing. And so if you can create spaces where people can't be on them, that's why even in a yoga class, when I see an Apple watch on someone, I get kind of annoyed. I'm like, you're violating it. Like just text your text message and pigeon pose. No. It's like sneaky ways of bringing technology into the space. 
It's so sneaky. And I've had other friend teachers say they're like, people have stopped to text on Apple watches in class. And I've like told them not to because they're supposed to be phone free environments. Yeah. And look, Greek dance is to me the one of the coolest ways to learn about Hellenic culture and people over time. The modern Greek country is a very recent creation, relatively speaking. So if you want to learn about Hellenic people, the people who have inhabited these spaces over history, I think the dance and music are one of the best ways to do that. And it really tells a story and um, also reminds you that Greek culture, Hellenic culture, Balkan culture, it's all much more diverse. And again, I think it gets painted in like the, again, the diaspora, blue, white, Zorba, Sirtaki, cheesy whole thing. And yeah, I love that. It really paints a picture of like the cultural nuances too. And look, this stuff is alive and well. If you go to Greece in the summer, I went to like six Panihiria. And for those listening, a Panihiri is like a summer, not just a summer, but it's really just a festival around a saint's day. A lot of them do have ancient pre-Christian roots, by the way, but they're typically now they're centered around a specific saint's day. The whole town comes together. You can go, you typically eat and drink for free or you pay a little bit. And then there's dancing and music all night. I was looking for a book I'm reading right now, but it's in the other room called Dancing in the Streets. It's written by an anthropologist and it's literally like an exploration from like Dionysus to the Grateful Dead or something is the subheading. I'm obsessed with it. And uh, people have been doing this forever. It's one of the oldest ways to connect and communicate. And I think after like a good night of sweaty dancing, you never really like feel better than that. It's a great way to flirt. You know, there's so much to it. It's a way, it's a way, it's how people used to flirt. You know, there used to be all these rules, like you couldn't really just approach a woman, but if you're dancing a balos, with two people dance, you know, that's how people courted each other. The same way, like, oh, the scene from Shakespeare in love, it's like that, but Greek dance. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. The Bridgerton, Bridgerton, but Greek dance version. Exactly. Bridgerton, but Greek dance. That's, that's, a new <laughs> that's great. You should say that during the Greek classes <laughs> as we all uh, come together. This is Bridgerton, but Greek dance edition. I think that'll resonate with a lot of people. But no, I mean, I love that. And I really do love the mission behind Yamas and how you so beautifully celebrate Greek culture and Greek heritage. And you also kind of resurface the foundation of Greek philosophy and bring it into modern day living, which is something that I think anyone can connect to, which is incredible. And I would love to hear also, as we wrap with the interview today, how you see ancient Greek wisdom impact your own philosophy on happiness, given that Everyday Endorphins is a show about happiness primarily and, and how that pertains to our well-being. You know, how do you find happiness in life and how do you define happiness first and foremost? There's like two threads from which I could approach this right off the bat. So I'll start with the ancient Greek one, which is literally talked about this on Sunday's workshop. There's the word eudaimonia, eudaimonia, which you see a lot. It's very popular on like psychology today. And this idea of cultivating, it often gets distilled down to a well-lived life that, of course, removes all the nuance, the context, how Socrates saw it versus Aristotle, because Socrates and Plato saw it a different way than Aristotle, blah, 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 blah. This is not an academic lecture. So we'll just say this idea of cultivating eudaimonia. And what I like about it is it emphasizes more of like the actions you take in pursuit of a well-lived life versus just like the end state. So I actually have this written down. It's a combination of the prefix you, which means good or well, and daemon, which means spirit. So it's like a good spirit, 
Aristotle talked about it a lot in the ethics, you know, it's kind of like the science of a life well lived and what you do to cultivate it. And then people have all these different formulas of like how to get there. Different philosophers have formulas of how to get there. But look, for all of the problems of modern day Greece, for all of the mental health issues that even exist there. There's something to be said for this like joie de vivre that like people in Greece seem to have the way they can just like sit down for a meal and really enjoy it. And they'll talk about how good the food is. And again, there's more, I think I'm making a terrible generalization here, but there's an emphasis on presence. And I think cultivating presence, finding gratitude for small moments for me is how I would cultivate eudaimonia. The side note of this is I've done a lot of studying of Katona yoga. I'm a big Katona yoga head. And Naveen Mishan, the founder, the creator of this, talks a lot about more cultivating joy. Because happiness can be tricky, right? Because then we'll put a lot of pressure on ourselves to feel happy sometimes. And not everyone, but like I've had this. And then if you're not happy, you think something's wrong. When really like yesterday was a super rainy day, right? I was low energy. It was kind of weird. I was annoyed because I had a lot to do and I just wanted to chill because of the rain. Now today that the sun's out, I feel so, you know, it's like the contrasts of life give it meaning. The fact that I personally have like dealt with depression means that now that I feel much better most of the time, it makes it that much sweeter for me if that makes sense. So I like to think of these sort of, and this is a very Katona yoga phrase. So I have to like give credit. there, like recipes for joy or ways to cultivate joy, which then when you read these ancient philosophies of like cultivating eudaimonia, I'm like, again, same thing, different words, just different ways to get there. So finding your little recipes for joy and living intentionally around that that's how I do it. So for that me, that means I move every day. I've removed a lot of things from my life. I like to read books. I like to annotate when I read. And I just kind of ruthlessly pursue those things as much as I can, because I know, especially one day, if I like become a mother, I'm not going to be able to have so much time focused on my personal joy and state of being. So trying to soak it up now. I feel like we're kindred spirits. <laughs> like I saw so much of myself reflected in your answer and really honestly your approach to everything that you're doing. And I think that brings me a lot of joy. But to your point around like sitting in uncomfortable feelings and how it makes the more joyous moments sweeter, that's a very profound thing to share because I do think that people, generally speaking, this is again a broad generalization, have happiness wrong. We think that we need to find happiness elsewhere. We think that we need to be happy, but that's really not what it's about. And Arthur Brooks says this incredibly well. He writes for The Atlantic. He has a column called How to Build a Life. He also just came out with a book with Oprah, which I'm currently in the middle of. His saying is that happiness is not a destination, it's a direction. And you can always be happier. So first of all, you have to experience the negative emotions to find even more joy in the positive ones again, experiencing the broad range of emotions. And secondly, learning to not be so tied to that outcome of happiness, because again, that's not what's going to make you feel happy. And that's not very Buddhist or stoic to be attached. Exactly. You want to go back to this principle of non-attachment. Right. And it's like, then I feel like that's so much of life is you're like, I'm eating the cookie. I don't want the cookie to be over. It's like, because the cookie is going to be over, that's why it's good. Exactly. And there's the bittersweetness in it all. I do love your answer, Christina. And you might have already kind of shared this in in my answering my previous question, but the final question that I have for you, which is something that I ask every guest that comes on to the podcast, is 
what is something that brings you a bit of endorphins every day? My answer is going to shock the world. (laughs) Scrolling on my phone. (laughs) (laughs) I love Instagram. No, honestly, it's movement and dance. And then I have to say Greek dance being a huge part of that. I was such a heady person. I've done all a lot of therapy and inclination towards thinking. And at the end of the day, every time I get into my body, that's where I get those endorphins. And Greek dancing is my favorite way to do it. Because you also get the craziest workout without realizing it. It's like the best sneaky cardio of your life. Movement should be fun. And that was something I needed to reconcile with and figure out how to make movement enjoyable when I was no longer an athlete, which was a whole whole other topic and conversation for another time. But I do believe that movement should be fun. And that's what is kind of filling up your cup, not I need to go to the gym and burn X amount of calories and look a certain way. It's cultivating that energy within yourself. And I especially love that response because now I'm excited to see you in your element with all those endorphins, Greek dancing and teaching me the way. So I'm really looking forward to it. Where can other people access these endorphin highs, Christina? Where can people follow along with Yamas and get connected to your workshops and retreats and join your community? The best two ways would be our Instagram and our newsletter. The Instagram is just YIA period M-A-S, so ya.mas. And the website is yia-mas.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter there. I always tell people, I'm like, sign up for the newsletter in case I quit Instagram one day, but I don't think that's happening anytime soon. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I will link both of those in the show notes as well. It was such a pleasure having you as a guest. It was so much fun. I'm like, let's do it again. We should do it again. I feel even more connected to my Greek identity. So thank you for being so pivotal on this journey. And I'm excited to share this episode with the world. So thank you again, Christina. Thank you, Stella. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Thanks for listening to this episode of Everyday Endorphins. If you liked what you heard, make sure to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever platform you prefer. You can also follow along the Everyday Endorphins Instagram account to stay up to date with episodes, future events, and all things related to mental health, well-being, and happiness. Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things in life that bring you joy every day. Until next time.